Hello, I'm Elizabeth McIsaac, president of Maitri, and welcome to the Five Good Ideas podcast. It's our monthly program where we invite experts to present powerful yet practical solutions to key management issues faced by nonprofit organizations. For the next 50 minutes, you'll hear the fifth session of Five Good Ideas 20th season with Agape Gassese, recorded live on February 23rd, 2023. She looked at the roles that nonprofits, governments, and businesses play and how they can best contribute to a common goal. Agapi is the executive director of C Center for Young Black Professionals, an organization dedicated to addressing economic issues affecting Black youth. If you want to follow along with the transcript, you can find it in the show notes, along with the session's handout and resources. I hope you'll enjoy the episode. Now, while many of you are dialing in from across Canada, and I believe from the RSVP list, we also have people from other continents, I'm speaking to you from Toronto, and I'd like to begin today's session by acknowledging the land where we live and work and recognizing our responsibilities and relationships where we are. As we're meeting and connecting virtually today, I encourage you to acknowledge the place you occupy. I acknowledge that I am, and Maitri is, on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit, and the territory is also covered by the Dish with One Spoon Wampum Belt Covenant, which is an agreement between the Haudenosaunee and the Ojibwe and Allied Nations to peaceably share and care for the lands and resources around the Great Lakes. Now it is my pleasure to introduce you to today's session and speaker. Social change doesn't happen in a vacuum. In fact, it rarely happens because one organization or even one sector wants it to happen. Social change most often depends on good, strong partnerships between and among organizations and sectors. To help explain how to build and maintain these kinds of relationships, Agapi Gassese will share her five good ideas on how community organizations, governments, and businesses can reinforce each other's work to the benefit of each other and for the common good. She will look at the roles that different actors play and how they can best contribute to achieving social change. Agapi is the executive director of C Center for Young Black Professionals and was named a 2020 top black woman to watch in Canada. She's a powerful, influential, and fearless change maker. For over a decade, Agapi has worked to enhance the lives of marginalized youth through her work with the Toronto Community Housing, United Way Greater Toronto, and as the executive director of POV, an organization focused on breaking barriers for young people in the media and film industries. It is now my pleasure to welcome Agapi. Agapi, over to you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited about this session. And so I want to acknowledge Black History Month and it being a time to celebrate Black folks' achievements. So I'm very happy to be here uh, this month specifically to be able to kind of share some of the thoughts that I have around five good ideas. I also recognize that there are going to be organizations that are doing all types of work. And so I'm going to try my best to kind of speak to that as I also kind of speak to the experiences that I have in my current role. And so I want to go to the first good idea, or at least I think it's a good idea, 
<laughs> which is building relationships. And I put in brackets strategically because I think oftentimes when we talk about strategic partnerships, it almost sounds disingenuous. And I want us to think differently about strategic partnerships. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with thinking about who you want to be friends with or who you want to partner with in a very different way. Oftentimes, the social service sector, we and nonprofit organizations, charities, grassroots organizations, we're always looking at very complex social issues. And these are issues that are affecting our world. Maybe we're tackling it locally, but it could be something that is affecting us globally as well. And so these are complex issues like the environment, social issues, human rights, animal rights, poverty, all of these things are huge things that we're trying to tackle. And oftentimes in like our little siloed bustle of our organizations. And so in order for us to be able to solve these problems, because some of them unfortunately might not even be solved in our lifetime, we need to start thinking about how we can collaborate because we cannot do this work alone. No matter what issue we're facing, we're not gonna be able to do it alone. And so thinking about who your strategic partners could be is going to be very, very key in trying to solve these issues faster than we might've been able to do alone in a silo. So as mentioned, I am the executive director. I have the honor and the privilege of being the executive director of an organization here in Toronto called C Center for Young Black Professionals. And really what we focus on at C is workforce development. We try and get Black youth specifically from the back of the unemployment line to the front. And in order for us to do that in a system that, you know, whether you agree or not is systemically racist, how can we get folks to the front of the line? And the way that we need to do that is to think much more strategically about our approach. And building strategic relationships has been the core reason of our success to date. And so when we think about strategic partnerships for us as an organization, it's government, corporations, and us as community at the table. And these three folks are so important because they are going to ensure that we have an end-to-end -end opportunity for our young people. It's one thing for us to support as a community and make sure that their life stabilization is there and provide the wraparound supports, but we also have to acknowledge that we need to be feeding into a larger system so that when they are at the front of the employment line and they're entering in there, that there's someone there to listen as they navigate into the space. Because once they leave our doors, the control then goes over to corporations that are hiring them. And also, for government, we're solving a problem that government has. This country has a very large issue. We have a labor shortage. How are we going to be able to fill that gap? We're either going to be able to fill it through immigration or we're gonna be able to fill it through young people, right? And so black youth for us is an untapped force to be able to fill that gap for the government so that our economy can run. And so I'll use an example in a very practical way and I'll try my best to use examples throughout so that we can kind of bring the, the idea to life. And so in one of the industries we do, we provide programming in is the entertainment industry. And all of the industries that we do work in, we look at data and evidence telling us, okay, are there actual jobs in this area? Either they've publicly said they wanna fix a diversity issue that they're having in their industry, or they actually have a labor gap that needs to be filled. And if they have both, that's even better. And so the entertainment industry is one of those examples. 
And so we're located here in the city of Toronto. And so we were able to reach out to the film commission's office. The film commission's office in most cities, their job is to be able to generate business to the city. So getting TV shows, films to come to their city and film so that it can bring revenue jobs into the city. And so one of the issues that the city of Toronto was having was they were going out they do what they call these mission trips. They go out into to LA and other cities where there's a lot of producers and folks who are looking to create films or TV shows, and they try and bring business. So they pitch, the unions go, the film commission's office goes, and they say like this Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, this is a great place for you to come and film. And that would generate income for them. And so one of the issues that the city of Toronto was facing was number one, there wasn't enough studio space. So folks were saying, great, we'd love to go there, but you need more studio space. And secondly, you have a severe diversity issue. We want to have diverse crew when we're coming on sets and we want to be able to reflect the city. And unfortunately for, let's say the unions, your membership is not reflecting that. And so if we were doing a topic that was really integral to the black community or the Asian community, and we wanted to have folks from those communities on set, you wouldn't be able to necessarily produce that. Right. And so those were the two things that folks were saying was prohibiting them from being able to come to the city to, to bring in business. And then there's the IOTSI, which is the local film union. And again, where are they going to get these diverse talents? Like, how are we going to be able to work together? And so we identified that there were a couple of opportunities. We run five programs in the entertainment industry, but all of them are labor gaps that are seen. So our E-Trades program, I'll use as an example. So that's kind of the carpenters, the electricians, the set designers, all of the things that make a production run we wanted to run that type of a program. And so this program is mutually beneficial on all fronts because the film commission's office is able to go back and say, look, we're doing something about it. We're creating a program alongside a local community organization that's going to find us the talent. We're working alongside our union that's going to train that talent and be able to set them up to become members. And that way, when you do come into to our city, we'll be able to identify folks from diverse talents. We're diversifying our talent pool. And therefore we're actively doing something about that and creating a plan over X amount of years to be able to generate more folks that are not ideally in this industry to enter it. In that example, we're looking at three partners that will take me to the next good idea, which is three partners that are mutually benefiting from that partnership. So when we're bringing corporations, and in this case, it was IOTSE, when we're bringing folks together, we're basically saying, we want this to be a mutually beneficial conversation. Because oftentimes, when we're talking about nonprofits asking for things, we're used to asking folks to write us a check out of the kindness of their heart. We often talk about the issues so that people can empathize with the cause that we have so that we're really leaning on their good nature, right? We're saying, you see that this is an issue and we're hoping that you'll be able to come and support us. So when oftentimes we have this mentality as a nonprofit sector that we're just happy to be in the room, like someone's supporting us, we're just super excited. And we for sure have to take that approach from folks who are putting money out of their hard-earned dollars and putting it towards our causes. But it's not necessarily the best way to always engage with government and corporations, because when you're talking about mutually benefiting, 
It's not you doing the government or the corporation necessarily doing a favor for the constituents that you're serving, whether you call them clients, we call them members at sea. It's not that they're doing a favor for your membership. If it's mutually beneficial, then you're entering into it on solid footing. And therefore it allows you to build relationship in a much different way. And so often us thinking of the lesser person that's coming into the situation doesn't always serve us very well. We have to see that we offer just as much to government and corporations as they can offer to us. We, because as a society, we kind of view money differently, like, okay, folks are bringing money to the table, but we also are not necessarily thinking about the assets and the knowledge that we're bringing to the table, because we also have to think about whether you're doing animal rights, human rights, environment, all of those things are things that you're actively looking at on a day-to-day, you are on the ground, understand the issues, and government and corporations need to be in the know of that. So you might be exchanging your knowledge, And it's equally as beneficial of what government as well as corporations can bring to the table. When we think about the government, for instance, we're often thinking about politicians go out and they make campaign promises. Okay, we're going to create more jobs, let's say, in C's case. We're going to create more jobs. And the reality of that is they make the promises, but then us as community organizations, us as nonprofit charities, We are now going to fulfill that promise because what happens after that? They make the promise, they make the money available in the budget, and then they put out an RFP or a grant call out. And then us as organizations go and try and be the person who's going to fulfill that promise that the government has made. So we are all on equal footing and we're mutually benefiting from the relationships that we're building. And so I'll talk a little bit more about government in the next idea, but it's really important to think about how the value that we're bringing as a nonprofit sector and making sure that any relationship that we're looking at, we don't only look at what is it in it for us. And oftentimes it's about funding, like, okay, how much money can we, can, is available for this particular cause, but also starting to think, okay, when I'm looking at my strategic partnerships and my relationships, who would be a good fit for what I'm trying to accomplish here, who would be able to help further my agenda just, and it would mutually, and I would be mutually moving their agenda along as well. So who are, sometimes we might be strange bedfellows, but we actually could have the same values and the same goals at hand. So really looking at that and making sure that happens. If we look at the example that I used above with IOTC, I'll give another example that really leans towards the corporations benefiting. When we started looking at the entertainment industry, one of the areas that we looked at was VFX. So that's post-production. So kind of creating explosions that are not necessarily there, right? And we were doing research and we reached out to some VFX post-production houses and said, where is the largest gap for you? Like, it's clearly a gap here. What's the largest gap? And we reached out to an organization called Spin VFX. And they said, We have tapped out of the Canadian market in terms of using freelancers and talent to be able to teach a particular program called Nuke. It's a computer software program that does compositing. So it allows you to kind of create these explosions after you've created something. And we have been outsourcing most of that work to the United States. So it's actually costing us a lot more to use freelancers south of the border because we don't have enough folks here. So we said, okay, great. 
how many young people could you hire if all of them were ideal? How many of them could you afford to hire on full time and how many would you need? They said, okay, to start, we'd probably be able to have 12 young people go through. And so we collectively came together. We found out Humber College runs this program as a two-year program. We worked with Humber College. We work with Spin VFX, and we built a curriculum that was as realistic as possible for a young person that would be entering in as an employee at Spin VFX. So Humber helped us create the technical work around it. But then Spin VFX also helped us make it as realistic as possible for when they would enter in. It was also an opportunity for Spin VFX to have employee engagement opportunities. So we had some of their employees come in as instructors, mentors to talk the young people through. As they entered into the full-time roles, they had mentors that they were already familiar with. They had already interacted with them. So the inclusion part of the conversation was naturally being developed through relationship. And so when the young people ended up entering into the workforce at that particular organization, it was very clear that they were able to integrate much better than they would have otherwise. And so we had received funding from the Ontario Black Youth Action Plan. And that was an action plan that the Ontario government said, we need an action plan around Black youth specifically and job creation. And so they were able to fund it. So if you look at this example, us as community coming forward, bringing talented, brilliant young people to the table to be able to skill them up, right? Working with the Humber College, working with Spin VFX, and then Spin VFX in the end was able to benefit from talented young folks that were entering into their workforce. Out of the 12 young people, 11 of them were hired on full-time. So these are full-time jobs that those young people were able to get at the end of the program. The program was around six months, and so after the six months, if they were able to get to the end of it, 11 of those 12 young people ended up in full-time roles. This not only benefited our members because they were able to gain, number one, a very valuable skill that could never be taken away from them. Number two, they were able to gain gainful employment in a career, not necessarily just a job, but a career field. Spin VFX was able to benefit because now they were able to fill that labor gap within their organization with talented young folks. And then also we were able to benefit the Ontario government because they were fulfilling the promise that they had made to their constituents around how they were going to address Black youth through the Black Youth Action Plan. So this is a prime example of all folks at the table mutually benefiting from the outcome and the efforts that were taking place. So there is no, no one was doing anyone a favor. Everyone was equally benefiting and was going to end in this relationship, being able to look back and say, we all were in this together to create good, not just for the members that were there, but for our society at large. We are also in a place where building relationships that are mutually beneficial is going to be very important as we start to think about how we're renewing our social contract. Over the last couple of years, we've been thinking about how we want to recover differently, how we wanted to come out of the pandemic bigger and better. And it's going to require us to think about the social contract and understand what mutually beneficial relationships actually look like and start to think outside of the box of the traditional way, which is in past when we're thinking about employment, for young people, we often go to employers and say, well, could you could you please provide an opportunity for one of our young people? And it almost as though we're doing the employer a favor, but 
really, and also diminishing the value of the young people that we're bringing forward because they are brilliant. They are great. They're willing to work hard. And in this case, spend six months of their time skilling themselves up. So we don't want to diminish the effort and the value that they bring to the table either. And so we really have to reframe how we're having conversations around mutually beneficial relationships. And that will take me to the next good idea, which is corporations should really start to think about ESG and creating and investing in an ESG plan. So for some of you, this might be a new concept, but ESG really stands for environmental, social, and governance. When we're talking about environment, we're talking about climate change, energy and fuel, environment compliance, greenhouse gases, pollution control, water use, waste and recycling. The same conversations we've been having for like decades and ringing the alarm saying our earth is in dire need of our attention at this moment in time. And then there's social, and that's really around social impact, diversity and inclusion, employee relations, the environment justice, health and safety, human rights, non-discrimination, security, training and education. These are all things that if you even look at our workplace, these are things that folks are demanding their organizations to step up and start to pay attention to. And so corporations, this likely is not going to be something that can be ignored for very long. And when we talk about governance, these all really tie into each other. When you're talking about your board diversity, you know, your ratio between men and women, your visible minorities, your folks from the LGBTQ community, all of these things fall into, they kind of wave and can intertwine into each of these. So really looking at the ethics of the organization, executive compensation, which is a huge conversation that we've been seeing, political lobbying risk management, all of these things corporations really need to start paying attention to. And all of these things are good business. It's not about just doing the right thing, doing it just to do it because it's the right thing to do. That can just get thrown out. Like it is good business. It actually has proven to improve the bottom line. So we have to really move away from it being a conversation about the right thing to do and understand that this is what is going to make or break the future of corporations' revenue, their reputation in communities with their consumers, and also with their investors. If you look at ESG, really what the the premise of it was, if you were an investor and you wanted to invest in a startup, they would produce an ESG score, and then you would decide, do I want to invest in this company? Are they a sustainable company moving forward? Are their ethics good? Are they going to have social impact? Are they going to ruin the environment? Are they going to make things worse, right? And especially in Canada, we often are having this conversation without even knowing it. We're constantly having conversations about our need to address the climate issue is also making decisions around how we are interacting with our environment and Indigenous folks. Oftentimes, that's a conversation that we're having, and we might not be looking at it to say that corporations need to be looking at an actual plan. You can't do one without the other. They have to be able to be intertwined. So when we're talking about this, originally, that's what this ESG score was looking at is, how is this a sustainable company? Are we going to want to invest in them in the long term? And really what my personal hope, and I think where we're going as a country is really start to look at, 
at a retail level, like at a consumer level, we need to be concerned about where we're putting our money. And you see that in the next generation. They want to know how you're using the money. How is it sustainable? People don't even want to go to coffee shops that don't have biodegradable utensils and cups. These are things that people are starting to wake up and think about. And the next generation will likely not tolerate bad practices in any of these areas. And so it's going to trickle down, not at a large investor level, but at a consumer level and making sure that we're spending our money in the right places and putting our money where we know it's going to serve the planet or social and also that their governance is well done. I think you're also might be thinking like, what does this have to do with nonprofits and corporations like working together? And much like we just talked about with government, they make promises. If corporations pay attention to where things are going and start to adopt ESG plans and strategies, then they are going to need our help. There's no way that particularly social impact, environment impact is going to be able to be done on a silo within the organization. They're going to need to look outside of their organizations to see how they could have a larger impact. If you look at a lot of large organizations have recently in the last couple of years created foundations and are reaching out to nonprofit organizations to see how they can further the pillars that are and the priorities within their organization and align with strategically, like we talked about, strategically, how can they align with organizations that are going to further those plans? The nonprofit sector is going to play a large role in the same promises that corporations are making to their consumers. We're going to be available and ready, and we should be available and ready and know how to navigate when they need us to help them fulfill those promises that they've created. We also have to be mindful that all of these pillars intertwine. So when we're talking about environment, this also will speak to organizations that are working on environmental issues. I think we often think about social in a very linear way, but that also affects, you know, human rights, the ability for, you know, animal rights, any organization that's working on a cause is going to likely find themselves in a place. If all corporations are starting to adopt this, then you're going to find who your bedfellow is going to be in that space. And I also encourage nonprofits to also reach out to organizations that are aligned with the work that you're doing. And if they don't have an ESG plan or they don't have a social impact plan, that you could also assist them in figuring it out. The biggest issue that I see is that corporations just have no idea where to start. They don't know where to start. They might have a demand and pressures externally telling them, you got to get this done. This has to be a priority, but they just have no clue where to start. And so reaching out actually, again, will be a mutually beneficial relationship because they can grow and you can also see how you can assist them and they can assist you in your endeavors moving forward. Also, when we're talking about particularly social and environment going hand in hand, often we're looking at human rights and the environment, even though they're both two things that we want to solve that are good, they also clash. So I'll use the example of solar panels. Yes, we need solar panels. We want to be able to generate energy in a very different way that's sustainable. But at the same time, the material that is needed to create solar panels also could collide with human rights issues because the regions that the minerals are being collected in are oftentimes being done in an unethical way in terms of the work conditions, forcing folks to be working. And so it's happening across the world. That's something that we also have to 
balance and say, okay, yes, we need solar panels, but how are we going to ensure that the human rights are being upholded to make sure that we can feed into the environment, but that we're also making sure that human rights are at the core of the work that we're doing. Even though a corporation might want to further their efforts in environment, it also could collide with the social impact piece. And so those are the complex issues that we need to be able to come together and put our heads together to solve in a way that is beneficial for all areas of the plan. The next good idea that I want to discuss is nonprofits should have a government relations strategy. It does not need to be complex. Oftentimes people hear like government relations, and I too will definitely say I was very intimidated by this once upon a time, but thanks to Maitri Policy School, shout out to Maitri Policy School, I learned the ins and outs of how government works, how it connects to the nonprofit sector. One of the things that I would really encourage nonprofits to do is just figure out the basics. It doesn't need to be this big strategy. You don't have to have policies that you want to change in the next 30, 60 days. You really just have to build relationship. All of these good ideas are all intertwined to each other. I really just want us to be able to think about that. When we're building relationship, your government relations strategy is exactly that, is just who is your local counselor? Who's your local MPP? Who's your local MP? Invite them out to your office, show them around, let them know you exist. Because through relationship is how opportunities are going to arise. If they don't know that you exist, when they make these campaign promises, they're not going to know, oh, okay, XYZ organization can fulfill this. Let's reach out to them and see how they can support the work that we're doing. You also should be approaching government with what you can also do for them. And so one of the things, the examples that I'll definitely give is when folks are elected, right? If you know that there's an election happening, find out who, if it's at a city level, then find out who your city councilor is. As soon as they gain their seat, you should send them a letter introducing yourself. In my case, hi, I'm Agapi Gassessa. I run C-Center. I tell them what we're about. We're so excited to see that you've been able to, you know, you've won your writing. We're in your writing and we want to know, we want to meet with you and just tell you, you know, what we're about. If it's an MP or an MPP, usually the other thing that I would strongly advise is that as soon as the MPs are announced, shortly after, again, you send a congratulatory letter to them. And then you also look at the mandate letters that come very shortly after. When the ministers are selected, they usually have a mandate letter, which is the prime minister saying, these are the focus areas that I, it's pretty much their work plan for the next four years. You should be looking at those mandate letters and reading them based off of the ministries that you're, if you're working on environmental issues, then you're going to go and look at that ministry. If you're working with child and youth, women, you're going to go and you're going to look. And you might fall under a couple of categories, but reading those mandate letters and sending a letter of congratulations saying, hi, I'm so-and-so. I see that you've become the minister of whatever ministry this is. I've read through your mandate letter, and these are the ways that we think that we can be able to support the work that you're doing. And that is what's going to help you build relationship with organizations as you move forward. And so it doesn't have to be complicated. You just need to build relationship. And those folks will introduce you to other folks. And then when you have, a and if you do have a policy, that's an entirely different thing. But this is really just having a strategy of your own. If you do have a policy, then there's ways that you can build a campaign around that. But just being able to 
build relationship with your local politician is going to be key to your success as an organization and being able to take advantage of some of the opportunities that would arise. The last good idea is to determine what success could look like from the onset. And one of the reasons why I use this as an example of why I think that's important is through relationship, you don't have to always get things right. And if you're mutually benefiting from the relationship, you can learn together. So from the onset, it's important for you to set expectations, make sure that your values are aligned, but also keep open communication. Oftentimes, as a sector, we're very risk adverse to have conversations around things that are not necessarily going well. But most of the time when we know that something's not going well, it's because we found an alternative or a way that we could do things better, right? And so I think I really encourage us to be able to, from the onset, have a conversation and be transparent about what it is that you're looking for. If you're looking for a long-term relationship with a corporation, then you can just say that. I cannot tell you how many times I've gotten into meetings with folks and I say, I'm looking for a long-term partner in this. Like this work is not going to go away next year. Like this is, we're looking at generational change in Black communities. That's not going to happen overnight. And I need a partner that's going to stick this out for me for at least three years. Give me three years to figure things out and work alongside you so that we can learn from our lessons, et cetera. You need to be able to have the courage to have that conversation because if you set yourself up and say, I'm going to be able to do all of these things in one year, it's not realistic because this work, no matter what sector you're in, it's going to take time. It's going to take investment. It's just the reality of the situation. And we continue to set ourselves up as a sector by making these huge promises, doing so much with so little, and then who ends up really suffering in the end is the end goal that we have. The folks that if we're trying to fight environmental needs, then are you going to be able to fulfill that to the best of your ability? Likely not. For us at sea, our young people, are we going to be able to like snap them into careers when we're working with folks who are younger, furthest from the labor market in a year span? No, it's going to take time and investment. And you should not be scared to let folks know that that's a reality that you're dealing with. So being able to let folks know from the onset what that looks like. I will also say for corporations in particular, what not to do when you're entering into a conversation is I understand if even if you have an ESG plan, do not be so prescriptive around what that looks like. Don't come into the conversation and tell that nonprofit or the charity, well, this is what we're looking for and we want to, you know, we want to run it this way. I'll give an example. We had an organization come to us, a very large organization who clearly had the means and the ability. And so they came to us and said, okay, well, we want to run programs where, you know, folks will work in a retail store. Well, one of the things that we work on is high paying jobs, upward mobility, and we want it to be a career, not necessarily just a job. So we had thrown out another other kind of opportunities that we thought would be good for their business, because again, we're not only looking at what's beneficial for us, but we're looking at what's beneficial for them as well. And those folks said, okay, well, that's great. Well, we don't have any money. And we're just like, okay, well, you, you have to come forward with, do not be so prescriptive. And you also have to come forward with some resources. You have to invest. Obviously we're investing our time, our efforts, our young people, our folks, to be able to bring to the table. So corporations also need to think differently about nonprofits as well. Don't come in thinking you know what 
our communities best and how to do it and how you would like to see it. Because the way that your world works and the way our world works are two different. So also acknowledging where each other's strengths are and being able to look at what success is going to look like from that perspective. So I really just encourage folks to keep an open mind and also know what you don't know. Go into the conversation knowing this is not your lane, just like for our sector, you know, your profitability is not our lane. Community is our lane. We understand it. We know the folks that we're working with on the ground and trust that and allow us to be able to guide you through that. With that being said, I'm going to hand it back over to Elizabeth for any questions. That was terrific, Agapi. Thank you so much. There's already questions in the Q&A, and I just thought that was such a great overview of how to do relationship. The importance of relationship is so central to making, as you said at the beginning, really complex and difficult issues that it's not a single act that's going to change it. It's a lot of different players and figuring out how to row in the same direction. And I think your focus on ESG is a great place to sort of set those values down so that you know where you're headed. While you were still speaking, there was already questions coming in. The first question was, thank you for highlighting the important role that the nonprofit sector plays in meeting government mandates. What feedback would you have for government departments to better engage nonprofits? You spoke a bit about how different groups need to see from each other's point of view and understand how the others are operating and getting that sort of fluency in both organizational cultures is critical. What's the feedback for government departments to better engage nonprofits and others to ensure that they create a mutually beneficial relationship, particularly in policy development? What do they need to think about when they bring nonprofits to the table? I would definitely say hire staff that know community well, because the reality of the situation is, yes, you're going to send a letter to your local MP. The local MP is not combing through those, their staff are, right? And so the key to it is going to be those staff. And if politicians, when they're hiring their staff, are hiring folks from community who understand their local area, then they're going to know who those nonprofits are. They'll be able to reach out to them and build relationships. So I think we put a lot of pressure and emphasis on the figureheads of government, but it really happens at a staff level. If I were to give advice to a politician, I would say, hire your staff well that know community so that they can bridge those gaps in those relationships. And so sometimes also some of the policy work happens by bureaucrats. And so there's sometimes the constraints of working within bureaucracy and having the ability to reach out effectively. Is it the same advice? Make sure that you're hiring so you've got diversity in your ranks, but not just demographic diversity, but diversity of experience that, as you're saying, understand what happens in community and how nonprofits work. Completely. If I would even use myself as an example really quickly, I mean, when I entered at C, the reality of it is different communities respond differently. So I'm from I'm from East Africa. We were predominantly serving folks from the Caribbean because most of the staff in the organization were from there. And so once we started to diversify the hiring of different communities, that allowed for other folks externally to say, oh, okay, this is a welcoming place for that. And I think when we don't have diversity of experience as well as ethnicity and backgrounds, then we limit our ability to reach constituents, particularly when you're talking about government. If your staffing is not reflecting your constituency, there's probably likely a disconnect. And so then there's a question that builds on that directly. We're talking about government is kind of a, a big category. So there's yeah. federal, there's provincial, and there's municipal. So looking specifically at municipal governments, 
Are there recommendations that you would have for municipalities around community investment and funding programs to make those connections better and to live out their role in the relationship better? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that most cities, I could speak to the city of Toronto. I think we've done a good job of creating, you know, the CABR. There's, uh, can you spell that out for everybody? Right. The Confronting Anti Black Racism Department, there's an Indigenous department. So there are departments that are there that, can connect to particular communities. And I think that is a good way for you to connect and also understand. I think also gaining some knowledge around how these levels of government work, particularly at a city level, oftentimes those folks are going to the province and the federal government to bring some funding down to the city, offering and looking at opportunities and saying, well, you can apply with the city of Toronto for a grant to the province or to the feds. So really looking at ways that you could also connect and gain partnership so that you can also create mutually beneficial relationships in that way. So I want to build off, I mean, on a couple of the, your good ideas had plan somewhere in it. So, so corporations should have an ESG plan, nonprofits should have a government relations plan. How important is it to articulate what the goals are of the relationship from where you're standing. And I think that with the ESG plan for a corporation, that's brilliant, right? Because that, what it does is it signals where you are at, what you're trying to change and what you're prepared to talk about. And so you can begin the conversation perhaps at a further down the road because there's an external articulation. But from your own experience, how much of the plan is as you're going through it and mm-hmm. how much of it is You start down this path, maybe you change, but at least you know where you're headed because you've developed a plan per se. Yeah, I think you have to look at it like a strategic plan. You have like your overarching goals, which are like, we want to be able, let's say, diversify our funding base, right? There's so many avenues that you're going to take to be able to get there. But at the end, you want to diversify your funding base, right? And so I think making these types of plans available on your websites is so key to signal to folks that are not already in your sphere. This is what our plan is. Like, this is what our plan is. And then they can say, oh, well, that's part of our plan as well. And they can come in and come alongside you. How you get there sometimes is going to be a a rocky road. Any new relationship is going to be. But I think if you have already set out what your main kind of goal is going to be how you get there. You might pivot, you might move off track for a moment and come back. But as long as you have mutually agreed that like the main destination is where you're both headed, that's the most important. You've talked a lot about the nonprofit sector with government, the nonprofit sector with corporate, the three of them together at a table, which is what I think C has done so, so really smartly in so many ways. What about among nonprofits. And so the next question is, what is your assessment on the coordination and collaboration of nonprofits that work with Black communities? So I think with Black communities, but also more broadly, but just that within the sector itself, are there things that you think have worked really well? And how, where, what else can we be doing there? One of the areas that we've been working on at C is what we call sector leadership. And with sector leadership, we really are looking at how can we support Black-led, Black-serving organizations to be able to do their work well and better than how we have been doing it. We have historically been underfunded, under-resourced, and how can we as an organization acknowledge that we are as good as our partners? And so if we don't have 
partners that we can connect with that are able to have strong operations and not necessarily have to worry about all of those things, then it weakens our ability to also serve collectively together. And so nonprofits connecting with each other is so key to the success of not only your individual organization, but the mandate that you have moving forward. One of the things that we're working on at C is to be able to connect with other Black-led agencies that are doing workforce development. That is so important because we're not going to be able to just like plot ourselves across the country. We want to be able to help the efforts of maybe grassroots or emerging organizations that are doing amazing work and just need to come along. We want to come alongside them because we're going to be much more powerful together in terms of our impact. Terrific. So we have time for one more question. This is Stella. We have helped out community services department by informing them of community needs, housing, food security, homelessness, but we're reluctant to ask for resources to assist us in that due to control governments can exert in other aspects of our work, speaking publicly. So that tension between, you know, are you able to speak freely? Do you have thoughts on that or experience in that? Yes. I mean, (laughs) The reality is you don't want to be the rah-rah, right? Like you don't want to be the person that's constantly pointing at the government. You need to be doing this. You need to be doing that because then it's counterproductive, right? What you need to be approaching government and saying is these are, we see a gap here. Like you, you said, you promised this, you know, it's not going so well and offer up a solution. We can help you solve how this is not going so well in these ways. If that means that you collectively come together, which is much more powerful and say, we're willing to stand with you and help you fix this particular issue because we see a gap coming from an asset base of how we can help rather than pointing a finger is always going to gain much more results because you also don't want government to interact with you through fear, right? Like, oh, well, they're going to, you know, blow us up or go to the media and tell and talk about how horrible our party is. Like the reality is we should always be nonpartisan because for us, it's not going to matter who is it, it matters, but it doesn't it's not going to matter who is in government. It's about what that current government, whoever they are, is going to help us move to social change. How are they going to be able to move what we're doing forward? If you get caught up in the the finger pointing, it enables them to blame each other (laughs) across party lines and ignore the fact that there's a problem here that needs to be fixed. If you focus on the problem, then you're able to say, and if they start pointing fingers and it's going to be a problem, whether whoever's in power is there, the the problem is still going to exist. So whether you're, you know, so-and-so or so-and-so, how are you going to be able to address this? That's what our concern is. And we are here to help. So if you're interested in help, then, you know, let's engage. But if you're not interested in help, then it will speak for itself. Okay. I'm going to slip in one more question. We've got five minutes or three minutes anyway. So it's a quick one, but it's not a quick one because it's a heavy question. But when you have a corporate partner, and I'm paraphrasing now, but sometimes a corporate partner may begin to go down line of their corporate strategy that may be counter the values that your organization is committed to, or perhaps not going as quickly as had been the original understanding of how you're working together. But it does pose a challenge, obviously, to the relationship. But is that something that you experienced? Or how do you work with them on that to steer back to perhaps where you were in terms of a mutual understanding of that? 
Yeah, completely. I think that often, like I had spoken about, we often come in as like, oh, if you could just help us out, right? And then you automatically put yourself at the recipient of whatever it is that they're offering rather than an equal partner. If it's an equal partnership and you're entering into that very clearly, then you can then say, hey, look, you're going this way. We agreed that we're going straight. So can we get back on line here? And if and if we're not, if you're not heading in this direction, you just need to let me know because we're equal partners in this. And so I need to make sure that I'm fulfilling what I came to the table for as well. We cannot continue to, in. oftentimes corporations are bringing money to the table. Yes, but we are mutually enhancing their business with the value that we bring. And so we have to stop shrinking ourselves to that power dynamic and start to think about, you actually could have ideas that will, if they're going this way, I'll use very, very quickly. I always use the H&M example. Well, with the the young boy, he ended up wearing a hoodie that said, I'm the big, best monkey in the jungle or something like that. And everyone was in uproar. The black community was boycotting H&M. And everyone's like, well, if they had a black person in the room, then this wouldn't have happened. I don't doubt that they had a black person in the room. Did that person feel empowered enough to say something about it? Did they create an environment where maybe a PA that was on set could say to the director, like, hey, uh, this could be offensive to some people. And if you don't, if you don't have the courage to be able to do that, even those corporations, as they're going this way, and they think that's a good idea, it might end up backfiring on them. And they might look at you and say, well, why didn't you say something? But because we've created this dynamic where they're above us and they have all the power, we end up robbing them of an opportunity for a learned lesson. So there's a lot in there. There is courage to perhaps say goodbye to the money. There's integrity with speaking out when the time is right. All of those things play into it. And that comes out of a relationship that develops over time. And that's where you nurture it and learn how to work with each other. So there's just a ton in there, Agafi. I think we could probably talk for another hour about how some of those things can play out. But you've given, I think, everyone lots of food for thought. And certainly in the chat room, people are expressing gratitude for your insights. Thank you for listening to 5 Good Ideas for Building Effective Relationships Between Community Organizations, Governments, and Businesses. You can find all of our 5 Good Ideas sessions from past seasons on the Maytree website, and you can subscribe to the 5 Good Ideas podcast to continue to listen to our best sessions. Until next time, take good care.